Welcome back to the Getting Grit Podcast. I am Brad Pohl, your host, and this is where we tell the stories of sinners and saints. Don Corleone was called a modest man who would always listen to reason when the five families met after Sonny's assassination. He swore an oath on his grandchildren that he would not break the peace between the five families made that day if they kept their hands off his youngest son, Michael. Michael orchestrated the assassination of the heads of the five families after his father died. So what's in a handshake? What's in a promise? Verbal contracts and handshake agreements may be enforceable, but attorneys do not advise their clients to do business this way. Long before the families of New York began their oath-giving and taking, a gentleman's handshake or a gentleman's agreement formalized in England were used by parties to seal a contract, agreement, or deal. The custom of handshakes began and was still considered the norm when a man's word actually began to carry legal weight because it meant something. It was the age of chivalry, where the ideals of men were to be courageous, have good morals, and perform service to others. And ladies were fair, protected, treated with respect. How is it that words like these draw the ire of the woke crowds today? But by the year 1509, King Henry VIII came to rule and he needed to produce something to ensure his Tudor line remained in power after his ten stakes would take leave. He needed a son. Henry had six wives and he had no son through any of them. Two of them he sent to the gallows. One could look upon Henry and say he made six matrimonial promises, broke them all, and committed murder twice. By this, the story of the Corleone family may not seem so severe. Henry did most of his behind-the-scenes dirty work through a privy council of men, more sympathetic to his own views and inclinations than any act of chivalry. But once you lose your grip on your foundations, any wind will blow you. Just consider the story involving Anne Boleyn, the king's mistress, who became his second wife. Henry seeks an annulment from his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, but the Pope doesn't give it. So Henry makes himself head of the church. Thus the Protestant Reformation in England begins. Thomas More was the Lord Chancellor of England. He does not agree with the king's desire, but remains silent. The king, however, demands that on pain of being judged guilty of treason, all members of his court must take an oath, affirming the king's supreme power in England's religious affairs. In the process, Sir Thomas More, the king's most trusted associate, had to be executed, sold out by Thomas Cromwell, who then became the Lord Chancellor to the king, and Cardinal Wolseley, who sought the king's annulment, albeit for his own gain, failed to secure it. So he had to be executed. And the new chancellor, the Lord Cromwell, who orchestrated the entire fair for the king, will run afoul of Anne Boleyn herself. And so he, too, will have to be beheaded. Not to mention that Anne herself will find her neck under the sword of the executioner a thousand days henceforth. Sir Thomas More is characterized in history as saying, I think when statesmen forsake their own private conscience, for the sake of their public duties, they lead their countries to a short route to chaos. When a man takes an oath, he is holding his own self in his hands like water, and if he opens his fingers, then he needn't hope to find himself again. You know, a man's relationship to another can be considered an art, and we mustn't forget this. 
We used to run a deep pass play, a big hitting play that we called promise. Two wide receivers starting near each other would run deep and cross each other's break about 12 to 15 yards downfield. In describing the play to the players on the chalkboard before we had a name for the play, because when you do something new, players should always have naming rights, I said, if we scout our opponents correctly, set the play up correctly, and run it in the right field position, this will be a big play. So what do you think we should call it? And from that day forward, we called it the promise route. You know, you can't just get all emotional and wish big plays in your life to occur without discipline and effort. Discipline weighs fractions to the pound. Regret weighs tons. Promises are a uniquely human way of ordering the future, attempting to make it predictable and reliable to the extent of our discipline and all that is humanly possible. And a man must always put that caveat of if possible or within reason or to the extent that we can control such matters into his promises because we are mere men. Idle promises without the work and discipline they require are like two limp-wristed men making one of those dead fish handshakes. Their agreement has nothing to stand upon, no starch in it, and it appears null and void from the beginning. The Holy Scriptures hold roughly 7,500 promises that God has made and has never broken one. And they are not filled with such caveats. God tells us, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be afraid. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. It is our choices far and above that show who we really are not our abilities. Will I shake the hand with a limp wrist, or will I put my hand firmly into God's grip? The work of patience, love, and self-sacrifice lay at the cornerstone of promises, and these are serious and lengthy endeavors, so a man should be careful what he promises. But when he has gone ahead and committed himself to the oath, he must consider the words of St. Thomas More, keeping his grip tightly around it. For our yes is always to be yes, and our no is always to be no, for our grip always to remain firm. These are simple things to say and write about, not always so simple to live. Is it possible then for a man to live and be fully alive without forgiveness and mercy? If our private conscience turns solely towards self-gratification, which men discover is impossible, we lose both our oath and our grip on priority. At the gallows, after forgiving the executioner his duties, St. Thomas More's final words were, I die the king's good servant, but God's first. Ain't it so? This is Gittin' Grit signing off. Blessings to you all. Dominus Vobiscum. <laughs>